We are continuing in Luke. We're looking at Luke chapter 22, verses 39 to 46. The scripture is in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you, as well as an outline where you are free to take notes, pages 4 and 5. So give ear now to God's word. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he rose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. Why are you sleeping, he asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. While he was still speaking, a crowd came up and the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. This is God's word. We've been talking a lot uh, about trials and the difficulties that, uh, that we often face. And it's interesting, James 1 is a passage that talks a lot about trials. It says, consider it all joy, brothers and sisters, when you fall into various trials. And what's interesting about that, not as just, well, it's interesting that James says, consider it joy, but the way that he talks about the trials coming, he says, when you fall into various trials... And the image that James uses in that passage is one of just sort of like trials jump out at you from around a corner, right? You are startled by trials. They sort of come upon you and you didn't expect them, okay? And James says when those kinds of trials hit you, consider it joy. That's bad enough. I mean, it's difficult when when something comes out at you that you weren't expecting. But how do you respond when you do see the trial coming? Think about that for a second. I mean, it's bad enough when bad things happen, but how much worse is it when the bad thing is something that you know is going to happen? Right? How often does that happen to you? The trial hasn't hit yet. You know it's coming. Like maybe you know there are bills that are coming that you know you can't pay. Maybe layoffs are coming to your company and you have this growing foreboding that you're going to be included in those who are laid off. Maybe you have a mortgage that you can afford right now, but you're not going to be able to afford as soon as your rate goes up. I mean, it's interesting. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a whole different dynamic when you know it's coming and you can't do anything about it. What do you do then? Where do you go? Well, in this passage, we see what happens, what Jesus does when he stares into the face of his own doom. Jesus knows that his hour is coming. And we see how he responds in this passage. And as we see this, you're going to be moved to worship him. You are going to be floored by how Jesus responds in our passage. And you're going to find the comfort and the strength that you need 
to face those impending trials, that coming doom in your life. So we're going to see this in three points. First, we're going to see that the darkness is coming. Second, we're going to see that Jesus entered into your darkness. And then third, now you enter the darkness of others. Okay, so first, the darkness is coming. This passage really, it's, it's the beginning of the culmination of Jesus' ministry. The final showdown is at hand. When Jesus came on the scene, he knew that he had come to save the world. Right? He announced that. It was announced about him at his birth. Right? And Jesus himself in Luke 4, at the very beginning of the gospel, announced that he had come to free the enslaved, to release the oppressed, to comfort the afflicted. And what this meant was that Jesus was going to take on evil and defeat it. And we see this in his ministry. The darkness of evil surrounds him at every point. He is in the wilderness, in the desert, being attacked. He's in towns and cities being attacked. He was tormented by possessed people. He was criticized and attacked by leaders. He was threatened. He was misunderstood by his friends. He was ridiculed and maligned even by his family. But in the midst of all this, it seems like Jesus was victorious, right? You read the gospel and you see he always seemed to have the right answer. He was always seemingly able to push back the forces of evil, push back the effects of the fall and the effects of darkness. He was demonstrating through his power to heal, his power to do miracles, that he was stronger than the power of evil in the lives of people. And yet, in the midst of all these victories... Jesus knew that that was just the build-up to the final confrontation. He knew that there was coming a time where he was going to have to enter not just the darkness, but into the very heart of darkness. And this meant that he was going to have to enter into death itself and overcome it. One author said this, Jesus knew that his death would carry with it the full horror of darkness of God-forsakenness. He was going to the place where the evil powers of the world could and would do their worst at every level. The torture that Jesus was about to endure was physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. He was going to experience full and complete separation from God. And so this darkness has been coming. It is on the verge. And in this passage, we see that Jesus is preparing himself to face it. And so you ask, well, what did Jesus do when life got to be too much? Where did Jesus turn when he didn't know where else to go? We see in our passage, Jesus bends his knees and goes to the Father. Jesus bows in prayer. For him, prayer was the key. And what's amazing here is that Jesus' prayer here, this invites us into the very relationship between Jesus and his Father. We get to watch and see what happens. And when this curtain is peeled back, when we get this amazing privilege of seeing the conversation between Jesus and his Father, Jesus says no to God. Jesus says no to God. Take this cup from me, is what Jesus says. 
He's saying, don't make me do this. This cup was the cup of his suffering. He talks about this cup in different places in the Gospels. This cup was a symbol of what he was going to endure as he faced the horror of the cross. As we see Jesus saying no, we see what a real relationship with God looks like. And it's startling. It's startling. We see his passion. This prayer that Jesus offered to God, this went on for a long time. Jesus didn't simply leave the disciples, bend his knees, say these 12 words, and then stand up. Even the Greek text indicates that this was that Jesus was praying for an extended period of time. We learn from the rest of the Gospels, this was at least an hour of prayer that Jesus endured. And so these words were a summary of his prayer. And we see the passion, not just in the length of his prayer, the fact that he went on for at least an hour, but we also see, look at verse 44 we see that he was in anguish. That he prayed even more earnestly. And I want to ask, have you ever been there? Have you ever prayed like this? God, please don't make me do this. God, please don't make me go through this. Is there any other way, God? Can we do anything else? Did you know that we're allowed to pray like this? I mean, sometimes you just need somebody to blaze a trail. And Jesus is here blazing a trail for us. He's telling us it's okay to say, God, please no. This passage actually reminds me of Ray Cortis. He spoke at our family camp last year, preached for us last year. And he's told us a story about when he found out that one of his children had cancer. They were having a birthday party. The phone rang. He answers the phone and gets the news. And he said that he hung up the phone. He walked into the bathroom in the, bra- in the back of the house and he prayed. Well, I mean, I don't think many of us would think it's a prayer because we don't think this is prayer. But what he said is exactly like what Jesus said. He said, Lord, don't you dare teach me something through my son. He said, look, God, I know I'm a failure as a man. I know I'm a worse failure as a preacher but don't you dare make my son suffer because you're trying to teach me something. Have you been there before? Have you begged God, please don't make me go through this. God, please save me from this. God wants us to be honest and passionate in our prayers. One author said this, at the start of your prayers, ask God for two things, absolute honesty and passionate faith. And then be honest in your prayers. Express your emotions of love and anger or irritation. Don't try to be a good Christian who says the right things. And then let your passion flow as you pray. Get as deeply involved in your prayer and your concern for people as you possibly can. God wants us to be real. And this conflict in prayer is not a bad thing. I mean, even if we step out of the praying world and look into the world around us, in the business world, conflict, I mean, the best leaders foster conflict. The best leaders of the best companies, Jim Collins has written two books, Good to Great and Built to Last. And he talks about the best, greatest companies in the history of business. 
And he had this to say. He said, in the best companies, debate is real. It's real, passionate debate in search of understanding. And the best leaders foster it. The best leaders try to promote it. The best leaders cultivate honest debate because they know that without real debate, without people getting fully involved, you're not going to have the best information. You're not going to have the best people bringing their best to the table to make decisions. I mean, even at Harbor, in our own leadership, we try to foster healthy, honest dialogue and conflict in our meetings because we know that the decisions that we're making are so important that if we don't have all the information in front of us, if someone's holding something back because they're afraid of disagreeing, then we're all going to suffer for it. And so, so here we have Jesus with everything he can muster. He is begging God not to make him go through the coming ordeal. He is saying, God, if there's any other way. And in the midst of his passion, we see his real humanity, right? This isn't Jesus in a sense. It's not that he stopped being God. No, but Jesus is demonstrating what real humanity looks like. And he is inviting you to enter into this kind of relationship with God. And beyond his passion, we see, again, verse, verse 44, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. This is a medical condition. Um, I looked it up. It's called hematohydrosis. Okay, and one medical, uh, the chief medical examiner in New York said this. He said, around the sweat glands, there are multiple blood vessels in a net-like form. And under the pressure of great stress and fear, the vessels constrict. And then as the anxiety passes, the blood vessels dilate to the point of rupture. And blood goes into the sweat glands. And as the sweat glands are producing a lot of sweat, it pushes the blood to the surface, coming out as droplets of blood mixed with sweat. So what we see here is that Jesus had a real body, a real body that responded to, interesting, right, stress and fear. Do you ever think that Jesus suffered from stress? Have you ever felt like, well, that's an area that I just can't, Jesus doesn't understand what that's like. Or even fear. Do you ever think that Jesus was afraid of something? And yet here he is. I mean, and it's any wonder that Jesus would recoil, right? Because what is he afraid of? He's afraid of being separated from God. He's afraid of having to endure the punishment to take on evil at its worst and overcome it. He's afraid of what that's going to mean. And it's so much more than just an intellectual understanding of fear and anxiety. This is Jesus' physical body reacting in ways that, I'll go out on a limb and say 100% of us have never experienced. Maybe he was more human than we are. And so this is what drove Jesus to say no to God. But... Wonder of wonders, he also said yes. He also said yes. Jesus said, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. And in this, we see his humility. We see his humility in an interesting way. Even as he says no, he shows humility, right? Even before he says, yet not what I will, but yours. Verse 42, he says, Father, if you are willing... 
take this cup from me. It's almost like he's saying, look, I don't want to do this, but I recognize that I shouldn't be left alone to make this decision. It's almost like he's saying, I know that I am being driven by forces and feelings that I can't completely trust. Think about that. Jesus is saying, I don't want to do this, God, but I am being affected by forces and feelings that I don't completely trust. Boy, I think I need to say that to myself when I go to the Lord like this. There are forces and feelings in me that I cannot completely trust. And I just think this opens up a relationship with God that is more real, that is more human, that is more wonderful than anything you can imagine. I mean, it seems like the maybe the, the traditionalist religious people if they didn't know this was Jesus praying, right, and somebody, they were just given a, a story that somebody went to God and prayed this way, traditional religious people might say, how dare you question God, right? He's God. You should simply submit, right? And then maybe more <clears throat> postmodern, maybe some more, more religious liberal people, they might say, if they didn't know this was Jesus, they'd say, how dare you question your feelings? How dare you admit that you might, not be able to trust yourself. In fact, you're, come on, what else do you have but, but your own feelings? You shouldn't deny your feelings. Religion shouldn't cause you to question your feelings. But Jesus, as always, lays an amazingly, amazingly clear path right down the center. Right down the center. He's brutally honest, right? He's passionate. He pleads. He goes on and on, again, for at least an hour, wanting to persuade the Father to go another route. But he knows that the Father's will is best. Whatever the Father decides, He will do. He gets to the point where He says, not my will, but yours be done. And so Jesus resolved Himself to trusting obedience. To trusting obedience. He wrestled with God in prayer until He could finally trust Him and then say yes to the cup of suffering. One author said that he agonized until he stretched out his hands in obedience to take the poisoned chalice. And so Jesus goes through this process, and frankly, it's a process that all of us have to go through, right? This process with God going from no to yes, right? We all need to go through this, going from take this cup from me <clears throat> to not my will, but yours be done. Have you gone through that process? Uh, praying this way, I don't think there's a better way to make God real to you. God becomes real in this kind of prayer. When you can go to the Lord and say no in this way, God becomes real. Because you can pour your heart out to Him. You can plead with Him. You can tell Him, this is God you're talking to. There, there must be another way, right? There's got to be another way to keep you from having to deal with what is coming. But then you remember that it's God you're talking to. It's this God. And I don't say that like God who's going to smash you with a hammer if you, if you question him. This is God who is a loving father who wants desperately to hear your heart. 
who wants to hear the cry of your heart, who wants to hear you express the deepest longing within you. Have you gone through this yet? Are you at that point where you can say, Father, not my will, but yours be done. This is the path that Jesus opens up for us. And frankly, it's, it's also, it's not just a one-time thing, right? I'm not talking just to non-Christians. This is for all of us here, for any of us. Because for some of you, you need to do this the first time. When, heck, even after, some people become Christians and never ever realize, wait a second, if my will comes into conflict with God's, I need to go through this process, right? Some people think that, they, well, they can become a Christian and Jesus will come alongside and help them with their life. This is what I had to go through. I asked Jesus into my heart thinking he was going to help me live my life. And it wasn't until a few months later that I realized, oh, wait a second. There's a call here on my life. There are times when my will crashed, crosses God's. What am I going to do then? And so this is a one-time commitment that we make where we ally ourselves to God, but then it's also an ongoing attitude that we have to keep reminding ourselves of, especially when that terrorizing trial is on its way. When it's coming, can you say this? When it's coming, can you say, in another part of Jesus' prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so this is the, the up, this is the coming darkness for Jesus. The darkness for him is coming, and this is how he responds. The second point that we need to look at is that Jesus doesn't just enter into darkness in general, but Jesus entered your darkness. Point two, he entered your darkness. This cup, yes, was suffering, but it was your suffering that he was going to drink in. This was the evil that you face in your life. This was the judgment that you would receive. This was the power of evil that comes upon you in your life that Jesus is taking. God is filling up in this cup the evil, not just of the world, but your evil and offering it to Jesus to drink. Now, why would he do this? Why would Jesus say yes to this cup? This cup that would mean the horror of evil, separation from his father. Why would he experience the hell of being separated from the love of his father? It's so that he could share that love with you. It's so that you could experience this love. Jesus enters into your darkness so that he can bring you the light, the light of God's love. When Jesus prayed this prayer, he allowed the Father to say no to him so that the Father could say yes to you. And what's amazing is that this cup of judgment and suffering it becomes the cup of the new covenant in his blood. Jesus said so much an hour before this, right? At the last supper, we take from that cup, that cup that he drank to the full and then fills it with his own blood so that we could have forgiveness. That's what we experience when we observe the Lord's Supper. 
when we take the, the, the bread and the cup, we are experiencing that forgiveness, that new relationship with God that comes because Jesus drank the cup, our cup of punishment. And so whatever darkness you're experiencing, whatever darkness you have experienced or will experience, Jesus has entered into your darkness. When you're in the darkness, Jesus is there. You need to look for him. When you collapse physically on the floor and cry out to God, when you collapse internally, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, under the difficulties of the challenges that you're dealing with or that are coming, Jesus is right there beside you. And he is praying, Father, let this cup pass. Yet not my will, but yours be done. When I'm there and I remember this, when I'm praying like this, and I, I, it's like Jesus, this image of Jesus floods into my thinking, and all of a sudden, I'm not alone. I'm not alone. He, he really does know what I'm going through. In fact, and, and maybe in a small, small way, I now have a better sense of what he must have gone through. When you're going through this darkness... When you're going through your darkness, I mean, it's amazing. It says in, in response to his prayer, verse 43, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. Well, that's weird, right? This, Jesus needs strengthening? Yeah, he does. Jesus couldn't endure this without the strengthening power of this angel. Again, we see the humanity of Jesus on clear display here. But what's a miracle is that when you are struggling in your darkness, God doesn't send just an angel. He sends Jesus. Amen. He sends Jesus Hallelujah. kneeling beside you, his arm around you, praying with you, praying for you. One author said this. He said, inhale the victory of the cross. Jesus then comes to you, enabling you to hold the line for one more moment, for one more hour, for one more day against the darkness. Now, I know for some of you, this is enough, right? We could just pray and close and, and you're ready to worship. And some of you feel that way because, well, frankly, you don't need to hear anything else. You're ready not only to experience and worship Jesus, but you're also ready to go out and love the rest of the world, right? And then maybe there's some of you that want to stop here because you think that the end is you resting in Jesus. And that that's all that's there to be a follower. I'm going to push. I'm going to push because the call doesn't end there. The call doesn't end there. We need to keep going. We need to keep going. The third point, and this is the result of Jesus entering into your darkness. The third point is that now you enter the darkness of others. Now you enter the darkness of others. 
when you experience the light of Jesus, when he comes to you in the midst of your darkness, God then calls you to take that light and go into the darkness around you. That's the call. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. God has called us to bring his kingdom into the world. Do you understand that? Some of you are wondering, well, how should this change me? Right? Yes, I feel drawn closer to God, but what should my life look like tomorrow? What should my life look like this week? Well, it should look like you learning how to enter the darkness around you and bring the light of God. Romans 13 has this amazing image in verse 12. It talks about the resurrection of Jesus. It says that in Jesus, the night is over and the day is at hand. It's like Jesus is the dawning of the sun. And then we bring about the rising of the sun over our communities, over our city, as we enter into the darkness around us with the love and the light of God. And this is our call. This is our call. And so, yes, you need to go through this yes-no process with God. And the great thing is that you don't have to do that by yourself anymore because Jesus has blazed the trail. He's gone through this for you, and you can follow him. But as you find him in your darkness, you then look around and find and look into the darkness of others. And so you ask yourself the question, where is, where is the darkness? What is dark in the lives of people around you? Your neighbors, your friends, your family members, your coworkers? What's dark in the city? Where are people experiencing the tyranny of darkness and evil? God is calling you not to recoil but to say yes to entering into that darkness. God is calling all of us to say, no, God, it shouldn't be this way, but yes, God, I will go in and be part of the solution. How else will people find hope? And so it's yes, it's no, God, don't let this darkness continue. But yes, God, send me in. I'll be part of the solution. I mean, in one sense, really, you're offering yourself. Just like Jesus offered himself for the salvation of the world, we don't offer ourselves in the same way, but we offer ourselves. We offer our hopes and our dreams We offer our aspirations, our goals. We offer everything up on the altar of God. And we say, God, this is what we want. Yet not our will, but yours be done. Where do you want me to go? And for most of you, God is going to send you back into your jobs, back into your families, back into your neighborhoods and communities, to be people who have experienced the closeness of the, of the power of Jesus and his light in the darkness so that you can share that light with others. For some of you, God may be calling you to do something else, something new. God may be calling you to take on more responsibility. I don't know. You need to go to the Lord and ask him. 
and say, Lord, end the darkness. Don't make our city have to deal with this darkness. And yes, you can send me in. Yes, you can send me in. When you do, and what's amazing about this is that the power to bring the light into the darkness, this is an offer in a sense. How much of the solution do you really want to be? I mean, frankly, I feel like in my own life, I have cheated myself because I have just not said yes to the darkness. I have chosen not to go in. And God is gracious and loving and he is nurturing my heart. And it's taken me years sometimes before I'm willing to say yes to certain darknesses. It's taken me years to overcome certain things that I don't want to have to do to the point where I say, yes, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. But if we're going to be a church that's for the city, if we're going to be a church that's trying to seek to transform San Diego and Tijuana and through this, the world, each one of us is going to have to say yes to the darkness around us. Each one of us is going to have to enter in. And every time we suffer, every time trials come, whether they come upon us out of nowhere or whether we see them coming and we still don't know what we're going to do, but we are saying yes to facing them with God and his help. When we do that, we get the chance to shine the light. Will you say yes? This is God's call. And he doesn't send us out by ourselves, right? It's not just that Jesus has blazed the trail and gone before us, but he has both blazed the trail and again, remember, you're not alone. He comes alongside. And God has saved us and put us on this mission as part of a community. You can't handle the conflict without the community around you, without your brothers and sisters, without the family of God supporting you. In a sense, the prayers of Jesus are almost like a suit that he gives us to wear. And it seems to me like it's too big, like it doesn't fit. (laughs) I try to pray these prayers, and I feel like I'm constantly growing into it. I try to say, yes, Lord, um, yes, your your will, not mine, be done. And I feel like I still don't really quite understand what that means. And yet I pray it because you put the suit on, you pray this prayer and you become more like you grow into it. You grow into this prayer. And so I'd invite you to pray it. I'd invite you to wear this prayer that you'd follow Jesus in this way. And if you don't know Jesus yet, I guess I'm calling you to come in and suffer with us. I mean, there are times when you hear the great news that God will fix your life and make everything better. Well, this is one of these passages that we see. Look, this is the reality of the Christian life. To follow Jesus means, it means comfort in our darkness. Certainly it does mean that. And that, com- that comfort goes beyond explanation. The peace that we get transcends circumstance. But there's a call. To follow Jesus means to follow him into the darkness around us. And what's great is that we get to be privileged. We're privileged as we're conformed to look like Jesus, we end up being used like Jesus was. 
to bring God's healing and help to others. You just need to commit. Say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I'm willing to give up my darkness, let him into my darkness to bring me forgiveness. And I'll follow him wherever he leads. Let's pray together. Father, I feel like you have allowed us to walk in in a holy place. We don't feel worthy for the task at hand. The darkness around us seems so foreboding. It seems so insurmountable. And yet we know that it's one person at a time. It's one decision at a time. It's one job at a time that you cause the light to shine brighter and brighter. Thank you that Jesus went into the darkness for us and that he's with us as we say yes to the darkness. God, I want to say yes right now to the darkness that's around me. God, I will go where you send me, wherever it is, and I know the suffering that comes when I commit. God, help each of us together in communities, in groups, to encourage each other to continue to say yes and to go into the darkness so that we can bring your love and your light so we can see more people understand the power of Jesus and the solution that he brings. God, help us for the sake of your kingdom so that we can push back the darkness in San Diego. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.